only source of true delight in my unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8. No surprise there. Uh, several of our verses this morning came from Romans 8. Page 944, if you're using the Pew Bible. We'll begin reading with verse 28. In some ways, we could read the whole chapter. But I want to spend one, maybe two weeks on this section to ask the question, how should we live in the light of this? We have touched on practical applications along the way, but I'd like to focus on that uh, more closely to ask how, how do we live these truths out in our lives? What does this mean for us? Uh, one fellow, Pete Dyson, uh, you may know him. He's a minister at Park Cities, and he has a Sunday school class. And I can't remember exactly what he says in the application part of his Sunday school class, but it has something to do with Monday. Like, what about Monday? What do I do on Monday? Something along those lines. And so we always need to be asking this question. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, the Word of our God. I think one of the great summary statements in what Paul says here is verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's as though he throws that to all the powers of the universe. And and declares openly that there is one who is for us and that negates everything that could be against us. 
Basically, as we've seen, that means nothing is truly against us. It means, in fact, that all things must assist us, verse 28. It means that because he didn't spare his son, he will not spare anything. He will graciously give us all things, which, as we saw, even embraces the future new heavens and a new earth, the new creation that is deeded over to his children. So, Far from anything being against us, everything by the sovereign power of God is so ordered that it will help to promote His end for us to be conformed to the image of Christ progressively in this life and finally in the resurrection. And everything will assist to that and anything that is necessary to that end plus the whole full redemption will be freely given to us because He's already given to us His Son. So nothing shall separate us from his love. Nothing can be against us. Nothing can stop the onslaught of God's grace. And so this is how any of us can live in all of the uh, pain of this life, all of the heartbreak and catastrophe of life. But of course, we believers... Uh, so easily lose track of this. this. This is set before us to say, this is life, this is reality, this is who God is, this is who you are, this is what's being done for you, this is the way you interpret every single thing that happens in your life. And we are to live with confidence and faith and joy and strength and, and so live that we can give ourselves away in the worst of circumstances. But we kind of go crazy sometimes. <laughs> we, we live as believers almost spiritually insane, as though all of these things really aren't true. And we have the huge issue that we continually face of our circumstances somehow becoming our God. And in some kind of haze of woozy thinking, fuzzy spirituality, these circumstances tell us what is and what isn't. They declare to us, depending on how good or bad they are, this is what God is like. Well, wait a minute. I thought he sacrificed. I don't, that doesn't matter that he sacrifices. I thought he knew me before the foundation. It doesn't matter that he knew me before the foundation of the world. I thought he was making all things conforming. I don't care about all that. Look what my circumstances say. So spiritually, we become, and all of us know, <laughs> we participate, we become crazy people. Spiritually. It's kind of like what we heard at... Uh, breakfast yesterday morning at my in-laws. We were in Louisville for a few days, Louisville, Mississippi. Uh, Kay's parents received a kind of lifetime achievement award, and we drove over for that on Thursday night and saw the grandkids and stuff. Well, we were having breakfast yesterday, and Pruitt told us about, this is a true story, a guy that he knows, his name is Wayne, and Wayne was watching some time back a Gene Autry movie. And as he was watching the Gene Autry movie, he fell asleep and he had his pistol in his hand. We all know, we've all done that, right? Watch Gene Autry with the pistol in our hand. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I've done that, I would just be... <clears throat> so, so Wayne is falling, he's falling asleep and he begins to wake up and he's real groggy. And you know how you don't know where you are or what's happening 
And all he saw was that Gene Autry was being threatened by a bad guy. And yes, he shot the TV. Okay, He rescued Gene. I mean, he needed his help. He came to his rescue. He shot the TV. Well, the bullet went through the TV and through the wall behind it where his wife was sleeping. So he runs into the bedroom and he says, Elsie, are you okay? And she says, why? He says, I just shot the TV. No, you didn't. It's still playing. And the sound was still on. Imagine that after you're playing. But that's my favorite part. Elsie, are you okay? Why? Because <laughs> I just shot the TV. <clears throat> and, you know, that's just a day in the life for Wayne and Elsie. Uh, you just hear him trying to remember some date, you know, and say, why not the day I shot Gene, the TV watching Gene Autry? Yeah, I think that was. You know, just, just one thing among many. But just think how crazy he was in that moment. Right? Just think. It was, first of all, Gene Autry is going to win in the end anyway. So you don't have to rescue Gene Autry. But the big thing is, it's a TV show, right? And he was in a whole different reality. And he was reacting to it. And I thought, good night, that's so much like us panicking, either reacting in anger or envy or jealousy or disobedience or so many ways in which we respond to the things that are happening to us in our lives because we've lost track of the reality, <laughs> the reality of God's uh, loving us before the foundation of the world and it's showing and demonstrating itself in the sacrifice of his own son so he's not going to spare us anything and he's promised that no matter what happens to us we will be brought to that final glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Well, I'd like to talk about some of the specifics that we must hold on to and I think we probably won't get through all of this today but I want to begin with. And First, I want to talk about what I'm, I'm calling the bedrock, uh, the bedrock of our faith. And I mean by this that when, at least for most of us, this will never happen that we're just stripped to bedrock. But for some people, it does happen. When in a given instance, their whole family has been taken away from them, killed in persecution, they've been beaten to within an inch of their life and they're awaiting execution in some dark dungeon and like every good thing of creation is cut off from them. And you can't point them to any goodness anywhere. We're hardly ever at that point. But I want to argue that even then there is a bedrock. There's a bedrock of, of truth that we hold on to. And, the, and here, the very first thing is that I'd say three things, the, the predestinating plan of God, the work of Christ, and the final glory that is promised us. These are like three legs of this stool, of this bedrock that's built, that nothing can shake no matter what happens, no matter what you're stripped down to, and the whole world is removed from you. Now, as we said, predestination is one of those words that we don't like so much. Uh, as I was I've told you, our little daughter, Harper, sorry for two back-to-back -back illustrations week after week, but she gave us one yesterday as we were leaving uh, at lunch to come home. Um, you know, she 
if she finds out anybody's going anywhere and she's getting to go, it's amazing how she just immediately starts doing this to everybody in the room. You know, it's the little beauty queen wave. And it really kind of means you poor, poor people that aren't getting to go. You know, it's just because she's getting to go. And so for the worst thing for her is to hear usually that she has to go home. And then even worse than that is like nap. Because nap means home, which means I'm not going any further, and it's the end of everything, you know. So yesterday, as we were walking out of the parking lot after the restaurant, her mother said, Harper, do you want to go home and take a nap? Don't say that word! <laughs> don't say the word nap, you know. I don't want to hear it. And I think that's many times what people think about predestination. Don't say that word! I don't want to think about it. I don't want to enter into it. If, if God does it, that's fine. That's his business. I don't want to think about it, right? We've all, many of us have been there. But as we've seen, Paul says all things work together for good because God has planned. And, and all of us must hold that close. And even if everything around us has been stripped away from us, we even say about that occurrence itself, this is because God set his love on me and planned for this to come into my life because of the love that he had for me before the foundation of the world. And then the second leg is he gave his son for me. This is coming from the same love that gave his son for me. And if there was something that I needed, if there was something that he must give me so that I would be supplied with what I need to become like Christ, he would give it to me. He has given it to me because he is withholding nothing from me. And all the deprivation that we would experience, even to the final stripping away of everything, which would seem like he's withholding everything from us, we have to confess he's withholding nothing from me right now. Nothing. Because he didn't withhold his son. He's giving himself in his son, and in his son he's giving me all things for this end that I would be conformed to Christ. And then no matter how severe or protracted my suffering is, he sets our heart on that future kingdom that is ours. And I think this is so important for verse 37. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. It doesn't mean that we're going to, in a sense, conquer every circumstance so that finally, in the end, my finances are really going to turn around and I'll be wealthy finally. Or finally, my health is going to turn around. Finally, that unbelieving family member in my lifetime will show and come to Christ. All of these things that we, we kind of think surely more than conquerors means this or this or this or this. Ultimately, more than conquerors means I will be resurrected and made like Christ in that last day. And so we are sustained in the midst of everything that's stripped away from us because we believe in the love that God had for us before the foundation of the world that is issued in the giving of His own Son and the future hope that He will bring us into that final fellowship. Usually, we have much more than that around us. 
Usually, we have these and then a whole lot of superstructure on top of that that God has manifested Himself, in, that God has manifested. I've thought, and, and people have expressed this as well, when everything is stripped away from them in these terrible ways that have, some have suffered, they have their memories that they just run by them. Memories of creation, memories of God's doing in their life, memories of hugging a child or a loved one, memories that uh, they continue to feed upon and rejoice in God's goodness and greatness in what He's done. Interesting that our call is to find Him in the midst of all things, and, and no matter what happens to us. To, but this to be the means of the very atmosphere, the very theater in which I will find and know Him and acknowledge Him, especially that I will acknowledge Him. And for most of us, we do have relationships. We not only can recall many good things, we've, we're experiencing them even then. What I urge you to do is to grab a toehold for praise always. A toehold for praise. And sometimes you have, like for me, to enter into praise... Uh, I was just sharing this with Carol Redfield this week, but for me, praise, I, I, I generally can begin with creation, you know. And you know I'm a creation buff. I love his creation. So for me to start with some aspect of creation to begin just thinking about the magnificence of this or that and begin to enter into praise and then go from that to praising him for his redemption and for family and all of these things. But to maintain a sense of praise, to take hold of praise. And you can piggyback with the psalmist, right? You can jump on their back and say, take me somewhere. I can't walk. I can't praise God. Would your words take me? I, I, will, I will pray your prayers. I will praise your praise. And Lord, make it my own praise even as I read this your praise. And so you kind of jump on their back you may ask for a friend to sit with you for five minutes and say, I've lost sight of the goodness of God. I've lost sight of His glory. Can I just sit here and would you just praise God for the next five minutes for me? I just want to listen and be caught up with that. I don't know how many times, how many times I've gone to prayer with people and somebody enters into prayer and I was out here, <laughs> my heart was somewhere else, my emotions were somewhere else. By the time they got through praying, I've been drawn in to the presence of God by their prayers. And that's why we have to, in the words of Hebrews two, uh, Hebrews 3, encourage one another day after day so that there be no heart of unbelief and our heart be hardened. We need so much to help one another to praise as one writer has said, this confidence, this assurance is kept in place by the Bible. We must read, pray, and sing the Word of God to keep up our spiritual sanity. And I would add, I've added our spiritual sanity and a spiritual heart. Pull out the hymn book. I won't ask how many have a hymn book, but it should be every single one of you. You have a hymn book. See Steve. He'll get you a hymn book, okay? We'll, we'll buy a bunch of hymn books. Take them home. You open that hymn book and you begin reading praises so that they, those, you piggyback with these writers, these people who struggle with these things, who praise Him in the midst of some of the most terrible things, as the psalmist did. And it carries you so that in the midst 
of your struggle, you are able to praise God in the midst of difficulty. That's the point of Romans 8, 28 to 39. It's worship. It's a declaration of the magnificence of God and the magnificence of God particularly as it's revealed in what he's done for his people. Right? And at the end of Romans 11, when he praises God for the wisdom of God, we sang it in the doxology this morning. And who can be your instructor? Who, who can imagine how you've come up and done all of these things? He's praising God for the magnificent salvation at that point at the end of Romans 11. He spent 11 chapters talking about it. He finally just bursts out into this praise of this great God of him and through him and to him are all things to God be the glory forever and ever. And so this passage, if anything else, is to root us in this bedrock truths of what God has done for us. And then the superstructure of all of his faithfulness and historical goodness to us. And we can call in others from the history of the church and one another to encourage us and to keep us built up in praise. So that day in and day out, as we read First uh, Peter 2 that we shared, that we will, we are, we've been brought out of darkness into light to do what? To declare the excellencies of Him who's brought us from darkness into light. You see, the excellencies of this one who has rescued us in all the ways that Paul says. That's our purpose, to declare His excellencies. That's evangelism. That's how the early church was so effective because in the midst of their persecution and their martyrdom, they continued to praise God and people couldn't believe it. They'd never seen anything like that. It's the way the church has spread throughout the history of the world. People just looking aghast, amazed. What makes these people tick? It's because you can't tear out of their heart the praise of God, even if you tear their heart out. You cannot tear out of their heart the praise of God. And this gives us a context. This is my only other point, in case you're looking at the clock and the beads of sweat are starting to come down. Um, And that's cutting off two more points, so I'm doing good, okay? Just, Just want you to... It's like Spurgeon said one time, somebody said to Spurgeon, you know, I think there's too much humor in your... Uh, preaching, he said, if you knew how many times I stopped myself, you'd be proud of me, you know. So, anyway. Um, but not only this, this bedrock, but then to consider the very meaning of our sufferings. To, to consider the meaning of our sufferings. In Romans 8.17, right, right before, of course, what we've dealt with, he says... We are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. In order that we may be glorified with Him. Do you remember how Philippians 2 reads when it says, He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself a servant even to the point of death, death on the cross. And it says, therefore, God highly exalted Him. Even the Lord Jesus Christ entered into glory because of his faithfulness and suffering? Will it happen any differently for us? Could we expect anything else 
that I'm a Christ follower. He says in verse 10, Messiah, Christ is in you. Messiah is in you. Don't you think that you will have something of the pattern of Messiah, pattern of Christ's life in you? That the more you live for him, the more you love people, the more you give yourself away to some people, you will draw them to Christ. To others, you will be an offense. And when you hold truth that there's only one God and he's known through Jesus Christ, that will be offensive. And you tell people that the only way you can come to God is that God had to die in your place and to bear your sin. That's offensive to people. And that God will not let you be a co-leader in this relationship. He must be Lord. That's offensive to people. And so Paul is able to say, we're treated in, in 2 Corinthians 6, we're treated as imposters, yet we're true. We're unknown, many, but we're known by God, well known. We regarded as dying, but behold, we live. We're punished, but not killed. We're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We're regarded as poor, yet making many rich. And I love this as a, cap, a, a, a catch-all, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. <laughs> as though we have nothing. Everything's been taken away from us. And though so many millions in the 20th century suffered in those most extreme ways, and no doubt in the 21st century will, and maybe will be among them, we don't know. But even with everything taken away and you say, we have nothing, and then you're able to say, but I have everything. And my suffering is part of my union with Christ. It's part of belonging to Christ. Paul even said, I want to be found in Christ. I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want to share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He saw it all as a part of belonging to Jesus. And this loving us before the foundation of the world and giving His Son and freely giving us all things is in the context of the most terrible things that are being poured out upon the church. And so they saw their sufferings as a part of belonging to Christ. That they're messianic, they're redemptive, not in the sense of redeeming others, but they're part of His redemption. <laughs> It's part of His redemptive purpose. It's part of His saving you and conforming you to Christ that He is enabling, allowing these sufferings to occur to us. It's not His abandonment. It's His faithfulness to us. It's His faithfulness to us. Even the psalmist was able to say this in Psalm 119. In faithfulness you have afflicted me. Before I was afflicted I went astray, but now I keep your word. In Psalm 119, 69, 71, 75, all those talk, those verses in Psalm 119 talk about this. Well, how much more in Christ? How much more in the fulfillment and completion in Christ Jesus? It's a part of our union, a part of our saving process. So, as one has written, Wright has written this, our sufferings are not just something from which He will deliver you, but something as a result of which He will deliver you. Get the difference? Not just from your sufferings He'll deliver you, but it's a result of your suffering and giving yourself up to Christ and saying life is more precious, uh, Christ is more precious than anything else. It's a result of that identifying with Christ and being glad in Him and resting in Him that we are part of the whole redemptive process of death and resurrection.
And so, Paul is able to say in Philippians 1, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him. That's a blessing, right? He's granted that you would believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. He doesn't say, well, now let me tell you the good news and then the bad news, right? Here's the good part. You've been granted to believe in Him, but mm, here's the bad part, to suffer with it. No, it's all one thing. These are the riches that are yours. These are the riches. Not only, you see, he even says it like this, not only that you'd be given to believe in Him, but that you would get to suffer with Him. Yes. And our reaction is to be, really? Really? That was the disciples' reaction in Acts 5, rejoicing that they were considered worthy of suffering for His sake. Well, by God's grace, may we understand the bedrock of what God has given us and may we understand the nature of our sufferings as belonging to Christ and accomplishing His purpose of making us into His image. More next week, let us pray. Oh, Father, bless us, we pray. Bless us, equip us, root us, fix us in your promises. As Peter writes, concerning the the promises, especially those promises of future future salvation and, and future glory, that by His precious promises we partake of the divine nature. We fellowship with God through these promises. Lord, may our lives be a continual fellowship with You, a praise to Your name, a, a fixed confidence in Your commitment to our good in the midst of every circumstance. And Lord, may this be then a, a declaration to one another and to this world of the excellencies of Him who's called us from darkness into His marvelous light. For it is in His name that we pray. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church and to subscribe to this podcast our web address is fortworthpca.org fort worth presbyterian is a part of the presbyterian church in america jesus my lord my life my light oh come with blissful rain Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?